Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church Podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we're in week 38 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm going to be talking to you about question 103. We only have one question, but it is a very significant question. So let's go ahead and get started. This week, our question deals with the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment is all about the Sabbath. So let me read that commandment to you from Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, there is so much for us to consider as we think on this particular command. And we need to understand where it comes from. We need to understand how it applied to Old Testament Israel. We even need to understand what Jesus taught us about it so we can see what changes he brought about, if any. And we need to understand how our identity as Christians, New Covenant Christians, how that identity affects our understanding of this particular law, this particular command. And thankfully, I believe that the Heidelberg helps us tremendously on this. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at question 103, and then we'll look at its answer, and we'll talk a little bit. So Heidelberg Catechism question 103 says this, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? And the answer is, first, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained and that especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. And that's the end of the first part. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Now, I really appreciate that particular answer to this question because in many ways it avoids some of the more common debates surrounding the role of the Sabbath in the Christian life, and it's just incredibly clear about what the focus of the Sabbath is for the believer. Now, it may be the case that you have avoided the debate about the Sabbath, but I'm guessing that most of you have engaged it at some level. And over the years, I've found that many people have very strong opinions about the Sabbath on one hand, and then on the other hand, I found people who were quite a bit confused about it. And I really don't expect that we're going to solve all of those problems today on this particular podcast, but I do hope to give some background, answer some questions, and tell why I think the Heidelberg gets it right. So let's start with some history. Where does the Sabbath come about? Where do we first in Scripture, where do we first learn about this idea of rest? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the Sabbath principle instituted by God. Here's what it says. In Genesis 2 verse 2, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So at the very start of everything, God decided to include and communicate this principle of rest into creation. One day out of seven is set aside for the purpose of rest. And I think it's important to point something out. God did not institute the day of rest in creation because he was too exhausted to go back to work. God doesn't need to rest. God doesn't run out of energy. God doesn't exhaust himself in anything he does. I call this the Sabbath principle because rest wasn't something that God needed to do. It was something that God chose to do, and he chose to include it into creation for a very specific reason. Okay, so fast forward to the time when Israel was a nation of God's people, and we discover that the Sabbath was a very important part of their identity, right? Even before they made it into the promised land, God established the Sabbath principle as a way to teach something to his people. And in many ways, we can even say that on the journey, they didn't need to rest. Their physical exhaustion wasn't really the key, but God wanted to teach them something by establishing this particular principle of resting one day out of seven. And and one of the things that God wanted to teach his people is he wanted to teach them to trust in him. He wanted to teach them that they could rely upon him to provide for their needs. He would take care of them. He would provide for them in the same way that God didn't really need to rest in creation. He just wanted creation to to be what it was. He had completed his particular task. Well, God wants his people to understand that in some ways, God has completed the task of saving us out of Egypt, and he wants us to rest in him, to rely upon him, to trust in him, to provide for them. So that's one of the things that God wanted to teach his people. Now, at that particular point in Israel's identity, in Israel's life, in Israel's history, the command to rest on Saturday was part, not just of some idea that God wants to teach, but it was part of the covenant agreement that God had made with Israel. So this wasn't a command that extended to all the other nations on earth. It was a part of their covenant identity. And through this particular law, God was proving that he could be trusted. God was proving that they could rely upon him, which seems to be one of, in my mind, one of the key points of this whole Sabbath idea. God wanted his people to rest and enjoy his provision for them, as well as to gather together in an assembly of worship. Now, this is one of those unique and very specific things that that was accompanying this command in the life of Israel. They were called together, according to Leviticus 23.3, they were called together on the day of rest to assemble for the purpose of worship. And on this special day, work stopped, but bread didn't, right? God provided. On this special day, labor ceased, but worship did not. Worship actually continued and expounded. Uh, On this special day, Israel was seen to be the most blessed people on earth because God was caring for their needs, and Yahweh was being shown to be the most glorious God on earth because he was caring for them, and they were resting in his care, and he was being praised for it. Okay. However, as time went on, God did keep his promises, but Israel did not, right? Um, They began to chase after other gods. They were led astray by 
uh, by their kings who were sinful. They were led astray by, in in some cases, priests and and even prophets. Spiritual leaders led them astray. Uh, The people began to chase after other gods. They began to treat worship as an empty ritual that, in some strange way, since they went through the ritual, God owed them something. So they were assuming that they were placing God in their debt. What happened was they abandoned loyalty to, to Yahweh and they brought upon themselves the curse of exile. But God wasn't done with his covenant people. He drew them back into the land. He reestablished their national sovereignty. And when the people look back on their failures from the past, it, it really was that they vowed to do better. And so what started out with good intentions, right, to be more faithful to God, it really became a source of even greater corruption. The leaders of the people began to double down on their law-keeping, and they assumed that in some way their obedience was the key to their relationship to God. And little by little, their focus shifted from obedience to God as a result of His gracious provision to obedience to God as a source of His gracious provision. And that might seem like a subtle thing, but it made all the difference. What took the place of the right understanding of the commands of God was traditions and customs of men that, uh, that placed a, the love-fueled loyalty to Yahweh on the back burner, and they were being commanded to rest as a sign of their love for God and as a way to really, again, to put God in their debt. So corruption crept back in, right? And then Jesus came along, and when Jesus came along, all these man-made traditions, all these man-made rules, in addition to the Sabbath commands, those things were being observed, and Jesus observed the Sabbath in the right way, but he began to reject all of those man-made traditions. Jesus began to teach the true heart of the law, specifically the, the law of the Sabbath. He taught that the law was not about blind obedience, but it was about mercy and truth and and love for God. Jesus taught that the Sabbath specifically was about freedom in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. He taught that it was about healing in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And he taught that the Sabbath was an opportunity for us to do good to others, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And then... Uh, because Jesus attacked all of those customs and all of those man-made traditions, and he, you know, he turned the world upside down. Jesus, Jesus was crucified. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried uh, because he, he he was dead. But he he was crucified because he had become an enemy to these traditions. But he was he died on the cross. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again. He gave his life as an offering for our sin, and by his gospel, by this good news, we are forgiven, healed, and brought back into relationship with God. And this is key to our understanding of how the law applies. We're brought back into relationship with God, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of his loving sacrifice. Okay, so now what? What what has all of this to do with the Sabbath command? What does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus mean for the Sabbath? Well, the New Testament authors, after Jesus was resurrected and ascended, well, they give us a clue. Uh, Paul, writing in Colossians 2, says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These, all of these things, which are reflected in the law for God's people, all of these things, Paul says, are a shadow of, of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So shadow and substance. Imagine, 
Imagine that you're standing in the middle of a desert in the heat of the day, and you have to shield your eyes from the intensity of the sun. Now, we don't have to think very hard about that because we live in Texas, and it has been hot, not desert-like, but close to it. And if you walk outside without your sunglasses or without some shade, you have to shield your eyes from the intensity of the sun. And, and, and imagine that even with your hand, um, shielding your eyes, you find it very difficult to focus on anything, right? You can't, you can get small momentary glimpses of your surroundings as you blink, but you really just can't focus in on anything because the intensity of the sun is just so great. But then l- let's continue in this thought experiment. Imagine that you finally spot an image on the ground nearby. It's, it's indistinct, but it's, it's clearly a shadow. And you begin to move toward that shadow. And the closer you get, your eyes begin to adjust and you're able to look down and you get a more distinct outline of what it is that's on the ground. You can't dare to look up at the solid object casting the shadow because the sun is simply too powerful. But as you move close and you blink your eyes and you shield your eyes from the sun, the object begins to take shape in your mind. And then, finally... The object steps into the sun's path and shields the intensity from your eyes and you look up and your eyes begin to adjust and what you see standing before you is a man. Okay, so that, that might be a strange illustration, but that's the illustration that Paul wants to use to teach the Israelites here about how Jesus has changed our understanding of these laws. That's what life had been like for the Jews for so long. Their entire religious existence, or, or much of their religious existence, has been occupied by getting glimpses of the shadow. But now that Jesus Christ has come, and he is the one who's been casting the shadow all along, now things begin to fall into place. And what Paul wants us to understand is that as important as some of those laws were and some of those Old Testament understandings were, Jesus is the point and fulfillment of all of that Old Covenant law. And our standing with God, our rest in the provision of God, is not determined by our adherence to that law. It is determined by our faith in Christ. And so he's saying to them, don't put your hope in the shadow to save you. Put your hope in the man himself. Let your heart and mind rest secure in the fact that Jesus alone saves you and reconciles you to God. God has provided for your greatest need, right? So my understanding is that Jesus has fulfilled the ceremonial aspects of the old covenant law. And that's what that principle that God was trying to help teach his people that I will provide for you. You can rest in me. You can rely on me. You can trust in me. Ultimately, Jesus comes and he fulfills that as a way of saying, see, God has right all along. And the, the strict rules, specifically the strict rules of the Sabbath have now been abolished, right? Because they've been fulfilled. It has been abolished because it was fulfilled by Christ. And so the Sabbath principle that reaches back to the dawn of creation was teaching us that that the day was coming when we could rest from our work and trust in God to provide for all of our needs. The Sabbath principle was about the coming day when we would gather to worship and praise the one who gave us rest by providing for all of our needs. And now that Jesus has come and provided for our greatest need, we can rest from our works and we can join together in worship of the one who has given us true rest. And so the Sabbath has been fulfilled. Strict Sabbath observance has been eliminated. 
And yes, we should still rest, but not because our rest earns us anything with God. Our rest is a gift that, that shows that we are the most blessed people in all the world. It shows that we are the most blessed people because we can rest from our labors and trust in God. And it shows that we are able to actively remember the grace of God and worship Him for it. Therefore, He is glorified, right? So we are blessed and He is glorified in our understanding of how the Sabbath has been fulfilled. And that seems to me, I'll go back to the Heidelberg now, that seems to me to be the point of this answer to the question. Um, let's go back to that, uh, that answer. First, how, how do we glorify God? How do we honor God? How do we do the will of God as a, results, uh, as a result of the fourth commandment and our understanding of it? Well, by first understanding that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained and that especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people, right? I go to church to learn what God's Word teaches, to participate in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. So God's will for us in our gospel understanding of the fourth commandment is that we should set aside at least one day of the week for gospel ministry, for being educated in that gospel ministry, for assembling together with God's people to worship Christ our Savior, Lord, and King. And the Heidelberg calls this, I love this phrase, the Heidelberg calls this the festive day of rest, right? But the early church simply called it the Lord's day. Right? So that's the, the first way in which we understand how we honor God in keeping the Sabbath. And the second is that we understand that every day of our life, uh, we are resting from our evil ways and we're letting the Lord work in us through His Spirit so that we begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. So the second way that we observe the fourth commandment on account of Christ is that we recognize every day that we're resting from our works. We're resting from our sin. We're resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we have entered into, in in part, not not in whole, but in part, we have entered into the promised Sabbath rest for all of God's people, which will one day soon be fully realized and will never end. So should we still observe the Sabbath? Absolutely. But in a very different way than many of us might think. Now, thank you for joining me today to learn about the Sabbath. Next week, we're going to continue our study in these Ten Commandments, looking at the Heidelberg, and we're going to look at the Fifth Commandment, which focuses on honoring parents. And I hope that you will join me for that discussion as we look at Lord's Day 39 and question 104. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.